Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of praise. As long as human beings are able to draw breath, they will praise their God. True praise breeds the spirit of reverence and humility and faith. The Christmas story is filled with praise. Zachariah and Elizabeth, the Magi, the angels, the shepherds, and Mary. Praise is the most natural response when we contemplate the coming of the Christ child. May our praise echo down the corridors of time and space as we join God's people through the ages singing. Let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. On the second Sunday of Advent, we light this candle as a symbol of Christ, who above all is worthy of our highest praise.
It's great to see you as we gather for worship today, and I want to encourage you to take a moment and greet others who are here in worship this morning with you. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we are hosting a service of baptism, and we would love to have you be here to celebrate with those who are being baptized. Uh, so it'll be a, an exciting time. A number of our young people, students from the academy, uh, will be coming tonight to be baptized, as well as some others. So we hope you'll join us here at 5 o'clock this evening. Next Sunday night at 5, we will also uh, we'll come together, and uh, next week is our annual carol sing. This is a, an hour where we just come together, sing Christmas carols, and some of them we, you know, we may not get to every week on Sunday mornings, but we have a chance to sing them together on that night, and then we'll have a cookie reception afterwards. So put that on your calendar to join, uh, to be a part of that next Sunday evening at five. If you're here, we want to invite you to our Christmas Eve services. There are two: one at five, one at seven, and uh, we look forward to these gatherings together every year. We have run out of the Fruit of the Spirit cookbooks, and that's a great thing. Uh, we're glad to, that they are being distributed. We are placing an order tomorrow for more. So if you would like one and you uh, just let the uh, Patty know in the office by noon or so tomorrow, and uh, we will make sure that we get you on the list and we'll order one for you. Uh, we, uh, we've had a couple of births in the last week and a half or so, and we want to uh, give thanks for that. Cora Saniseth was born on November 29th to Suli and Kristen and to brothers uh, Leighton, Carson, and Callan, and we celebrate with them. And also this past Monday, Elizabeth Jacoby was born to Nate and Eileen, and we are excited uh, with them as well and celebrate in the gift of new life as God blesses us this way. There are a number of things in the bulletin that we are praying about, uh, asking for God's grace in each of them. I want to add to this the family of um, Houghton College student Marina Slavin, who died unexpectedly earlier this week at home. And uh, we certainly want to, to pray for uh, her, her family and the services tomorrow in New Hampshire. And I know that they would appreciate our prayers. One of the great joys that we have as the church is to uh, uh, receive people into the official membership of the church. And this morning we have some who are joining in this service. I'd like to ask them and uh, those who are introducing them to come here and stand in front. And uh, we had uh, some that joined in the first service as well. Just come stand right there. Those who are joining and stand before you today uh, have um, gone through a membership class. They've been uh, wholeheartedly approved by the elders. They... um, they ascribe to uh, you know our the orthodoxy of our faith and uh, to the scriptures to uh, their faith in Jesus Christ and to the commitment to the church uh, to give of themselves and to be a part of this body as we join together as a part of God's kingdom in this place and we are excited to have them uh, join this morning and we're going to take a moment to introduce them to you and I think we'll start here with uh, Sharon and uh, do some introductions just to give you a little bit of information. And you may not know these folks who are joining today. I hope I have sound. I do. Good morning. 
I'm so glad that you're here today, and it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you Alyssa Kotcher. Alyssa is transferring her membership from Avon Wesleyan. She's a senior at Houghton College, majoring in religion with a ministry concentration and also a minor in missions. Um, I, I want to tell you that I feel like I have a new friend. I've had so much fun. We've spent just a very brief amount of time together, and I've told her already that this will not be the last time that we get together to have coffee. Uh, because I, I'm inspired and encouraged by her. She has three adopted siblings, two from South Korea and one from China. Her brother Jake just graduated from Houghton uh, last May. She has some fun hobbies, volleyball and drawing. She's also an artist. And she loves spending time with her friends and family. Right now she's involved in working with King's Kids as a helper for the kindergarten and the first grade girls. And when she graduates, she is in the process of pursuing an internship, possibly with OMS. It's been a big week for the Jacoby family. Uh, certainly, Eileen and Nate and Elizabeth, I believe you said, was uh, her, her name, happened on Monday, just the evening we were planned to get together to have a little conversation in preparation for this. <laughs> so when they didn't show and we had this pre-plan, we kind of knew what was going on. But it yeah, has okay. been a number of years that I've known Eileen. She was a former student of mine. She's worked in the county here and at the college for a number of years. And I kind of watched from afar the uh, blooming relationship with Nate. And now, of course, the blessing of this child. So their work is going to continue to increase. But it's been good to, to have them here. They're both coming in as uh, transferring their membership in. Nate from Hillside Wesleyan in Oleand and Eileen from Fillmore Wesleyan. So when you see them... And we did. Oh, we have them there. Great. <laughs> when you see them, please wish them well and welcome them into the fellowship. You know that thing I talked about last week of timing? There it is. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Eli and Linda Knapp. Uh, Linda, of course, is no stranger to these parts. Uh, she's a daughter of Paul and Debbie Shea, been around for, for years. Uh, they both went to Houghton College. Eli graduated in 2000 and Linda in 2001. Uh, they spent a little time in California and Colorado and Africa uh, pursuing other pursuits and education, but they've been back here since 2009. Uh, they have two kids, a uh, boy, Ezra, who's six, and uh, Indigo, who's three. Um, they uh, both teach at the college. Eli teaches in biology and anthropology departments, and Linda teaches in anthropology as well. Uh, they are becoming members, but soon will disappear, and you won't see them for months because uh, they do the uh, Houghton in Tanzania project where they take uh, 20, 25 students uh, there from January till, till May, I believe. Uh, so uh, I was a little concerned that Eli actually might not be here this morning because I told him before the service that uh, my son had cited uh, nine snowy owls in Erie, Pennsylvania, and he's a birder as well, and uh, I was afraid he's going to get on 86 West and be gone out of town, <clears throat> but he stayed, though I'm not sure what he's doing this afternoon, uh, but uh, uh, and their, their daughters, of course, uh, Indigo, named after the bunting, a beautiful bird and a beautiful little girl, certainly, so please welcome them to the membership, though I considered, since I don't normally come to the service, that they might need to introduce me, but anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks. 
All right, thank you. I'm going to ask the members of the church to stand and to uh, just offer a word, word the stuff will come up on the screen, to just affirm uh, our commitment to these who are joining today. We, the members of this church, receive you to our communion and fellowship as beloved brothers and sisters and promise to walk with you in love, to instruct, counsel, admonish, and cherish you, and to watch over you with all patience, gentleness, and love. Well, God of the church, we thank you for the blessing of Christian fellowship, for joining together in one body all those who believe in Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you for these who this day are becoming a part of this local church, this branch of Christ's body. Grant to them grace and the strength that they will need to fulfill their vows. And we pray that you will bind all of our hearts together in your holy love. That we may support one another and help one another. And that together we may share your gospel with the world for which Christ died. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. After the service, I'm going to ask them to come back up front so you have an opportunity to greet them, to welcome them into the, uh, the fellowship of the church. I invite you to take your bulletins and to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed there. And we will pray this in unison. Let us pray. Merciful God, how many John the Baptist, how many prophets of your light have we ignored because they were not what we were looking for? How many times have we ignored voices crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord? How many times have we breathed a sigh of relief and turned our backs on your messengers because they did not speak the message we expected to hear? Help us hear anew the cry of those who would lead us to Christ. Tune our ears to your heralds, that we might also testify to your light. And through the coming of Christ, may we hear your words of pardon and assurance. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 9 and does exactly that, expresses the longing for God's people to see and to see his coming. So Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing the plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders The rod of their oppressor, 
you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do all this. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to continue expressing your thanks to God by standing and singing the doxology as the ushers come forward. Merciful God, we do thank you so much that we live in a time where we can hear of your coming and we can welcome your light into our hearts, into this church, into your world. Pray that the gifts that we give would be useful for the building up of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
Christ who comes among us calls us to uh, pray to him, offer our words to him, to listen to his words to us. As we pray this morning, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Holy Father, it is with a a great sense of awe that we bow before you today recognizing what you have done through Christ. Taking the form of an infant, being born into this world that we might know you And live in you. And you in us. We come today in a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. And in worship. Father, the mystery of the incarnation. Calls us to to bring to you all that is in our hearts and our minds and our spirits. We know that you hear us. We come today with a wide variety of stuff in our lives and things in our minds. And we pray that you will heal all of our diseases. We pray that you will comfort our grieving hearts. We pray that you will restore what is broken. You will lead us in the path of life and truth and love and grace and joy. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. So much heartache and pain. We ask that you would work miraculously in this world. We pray that you would especially Help our brothers and sisters around the globe to know your strength in their lives as they bear witness to you many in places of great opposition and worse. Help them to know our prayers, our love, our support. We pray for the people of South Africa as they mourn the death of Nelson Mandela. We pray, Father, that in this nation that for so long was torn by by disunity, by racism, would be unified and that your church, your people, would be at the forefront of continuing this process. Father, we come today in awe of who you are and of what you have done in the world and in our lives. We bow before you in humble worship. 
We thank you that you hear all of our prayers, those spoken and unspoken. And that you are at work when we see it and when we don't. We offer our prayers to you now through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. invite you to stand as we read from Matthew 2. The ancient church suggested standing means we're orienting our whole selves to the gospel of Jesus. 
In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to be shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then he was filled, then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judah, Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord.
Jesus has been born. The angels have finished their song. The shepherds have gone back to their sheep. Magi have presented their extravagant gifts. And we are left with this beautiful story. It's the kind of story that is appropriate for Christmas cards and Christmas parties and church. And if Matthew had just left it there, it would remain just a lovely story. But he doesn't. In the midst of this story about angels and shepherds and wise men, Matthew tells us about the little boys in Bethlehem. And quite frankly, to me, it seems, it seems kind of out of place. It, it makes the story kind of messy. And it makes it difficult to know how to respond to it. And quite frankly, I would just assume that this wasn't included in the text. Because then I could just enjoy the story. But it's here. And if it's here, somehow we have to engage it. We have to, to try to understand it, try to figure out why it's here. And what is God saying to us through it? Now, I think it's important to to understand right up front that this is an event because of evil. This is is an act of the evil one using a pawn, probably actually a willing ally, in Herod. Herod has a reputation for being ruthless. Uh, Some people would say he is um, evil personified. When Herod comes to power, one of the first things he does is to gather around him 45 of the wealthiest citizens of Judea who have been supporters of the previous king, and he executes all of them and confiscates their possessions. In the middle of his reign, he is summoned to Rome and and an audience with the emperor, and he's a little frightened about that because he's wondering, am I going to be held accountable for some stuff that I've done? And he may be sentenced to death. And so he leaves orders with his soldiers. If he is indeed sentenced to death, then they are to kill his wife too. And through the years of his reign, he orders the murder of his 18-year-old brother-in-law, his 80-year-old, his wife's 80-year-old grandfather, his mother-in-law, and two of his own sons. The emperor Augustus said... I would rather be Herod's pig than his relative. The man is ruthless. And what the the Magi don't realize when they come to Jerusalem and they start talking about a new king who's been born, they don't realize that they have poked an insanely jealous bear who will do anything to maintain control of his power. Including take the lives of these little boys. It's hard to imagine the pain 
of these mothers and fathers, and grandparents, and siblings, aunts, uncles, neighbors, friends, this whole town of Bethlehem, when all this takes place, they don't understand. They, they don't live their lives thinking about the palace. They're just trying to exist every day. They're just trying to put food on their table. They're just trying to have a place over their, a shelter over their heads. They're just trying to go about their lives. What is this about? Why is this happening? I think that's a part of the evil one's plan. He, he loves to cause pain to, on us. He loves to cause pain for people, for what God loves. And do it in a way that makes us wonder, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Because as we question God, we begin to, it begins to, in our minds, God begins to look bad. And we begin to wrestle with who God is and why God would do this or allow this. And, and, and we get all wrapped up in those questions and that's exactly what the evil one wants to do. And instead of attacking God himself, he attacks what God loves. But that's always what evil does. Evil attacks what is the easiest, most vulnerable target. And if you enter a room and there are children present, I am 99.9% sure that the children are the most vulnerable people in the room. And it's as though, in order to drive a stake through God's heart, the evil one says, you're going to send your son for these people? Fine. I'm going to murder some children. We all know that at some point we're going to die. We know that in our minds. We, we understand that mentally. We also know, or at least we hope, the natural order of things is that older people die before younger people. Grandparents before parents, parents before children. And when that order is confused and changed and twisted, we have a hard time grasping it, and rightly so. It's not natural. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And we feel pain when anyone we love dies. Whether it's expected or unexpected, we feel pain about it. But when it, become, when it comes in a way that, that is completely outside of what is normal, it is especially grievous. As we come to this morning, I, I suspect that there are some of you here today who, who are wrestling with the death of a child. And the agony and the ache of that. You, you, uh, there is this, this empty place where that child once was and is supposed to be. And I, I think that is heightened at the holiday time. Where we're with, it's a, it's a family time. And in the midst of this family time, they're not there. Maybe the pain you feel is, is not about the death of a child, but about 
a child never born. Maybe the pain and, and the ache in your heart is about that dream of having children and never seeing it fulfilled. And again, at the holiday time when everyone else is with family, it makes the ache that much deeper. Maybe it's about maybe it's about the loss of your childhood. Maybe maybe you you grew up in a home where there you were neglected and the, all you think about is loneliness and or or there was abuse or worse. And when you see families coming together for the holidays, it's not a positive time, it's a negative time. And you yearn and ache to have family relationships like the people you see around you. And you grieve and lament for what you lost, what was taken away. And if none of those things describe your experiences, we all know the pain in the world, particularly of what children go through. We live in a world in which children are neglected. A world in which children are orphaned because of disease and war and famine. We live in a world in which, in which children are abused and sold into slavery and worse. We live in a world in which which children are conscripted into an army by, by threat or enticement and do unmentionable things in order to satisfy the greed and the power of evil men. And we think about it and it breaks our hearts. And even if it's none of those things, all of us go through experiences where we wrestle with pain and we question God and we wonder why is this happening to me or to people I love and care about? Why all the pain? And we wonder, where is God? I've asked myself numerous times, why is this story is here? Why is this story included in text? What is it about this story that God wants us to understand? And, and, and maybe, maybe it, it helps us to, to go back and, and think about what might have been going on at that time. See, when I read this story, my first thought is, well... Everyone already knew about this event that had taken place and that it was connected with the birth of Jesus. So if you didn't include it, it would look as though you were trying to hide something. That, that God was, was hiding what had happened. And so you, you have to put the story in the text. And then I discovered that as far as scholars can tell, this story is mentioned nowhere else in any of the ancient historic documents. This is the only place anyone talks about what happened in Bethlehem with the little children. 
And then you say, well, then why include it? More than likely, by the time this event takes place, all of the people who had come to Bethlehem for, uh, for the census, including Mary and Joseph, many of them had returned to their hometown because it may well have been, may have been up to two years since Jesus is born. And most of those people have gone back to their homes. And Bethlehem's a pretty small town. And scholars estimate that maybe in the neighborhood of 20 children would have died by Herod's edict. And quite frankly, historians probably look at the life of Herod and all of the heinous things that Herod does and the children of a few peasants in an obscure village just doesn't get press. So many other things that are more important, we just don't even have time for that. And maybe, maybe God includes this story to remind us that while everybody else in the world may forget these little boys, he doesn't. He doesn't forget them. I have in my mind this this image of the Holy Spirit prompting Matthew as, as he's writing his gospel. And Matthew writes the genealogy and, 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 and Matthew writes about the angel appearing to Joseph and about the Magi coming to give their gifts. And I can almost hear the Holy Spirit saying to him, don't forget those little boys. Everyone else may forget them, but I don't forget them. They are precious to me. And one day... Everyone will see that I have avenged their deaths. When we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 16, 17, 18, John talks about Babylon, which is sort of the symbol of the evil empires of the world. And he says, The day will come when Babylon will drink the wine of my wrath. I will remember the evil that was done in this world, and I will deal with it. So when everybody else seems to forget your pain, when everyone else seems to to have moved on with life, and you're left with all of this ache and pain about the things that have happened to you, and it feels like no one remembers, God remembers And God not just remembers, but the whole point of Jesus coming is to identify with our pain, to enter into our pain, and to heal our pain. Sometimes we wrestle so much with the pain that we're feeling that it, it seems as though we care more about evil in the world than God does. We're more concerned about the bad stuff happening. It seems as though God is ignoring it and forgetting about it. And the truth is, when you read the scriptures, no one, no one cares more about the evil going on in the world than God does. No one cares more about the evil in this world than God does. We may think we are, we are concerned about what's going on and we feel compassion for people in need. And we do. But when you read the Old Testament, 
page after page after page, God keeps saying, you take care of the most vulnerable people. Orphans and the widows and the aliens and the strangers, the people who have no rights, the people who are taken advantage of, you take care of them. And one of the reasons Israel goes into exile and God punishes them is because they don't care about injustice. And God cares so much about it that he is willing to send his own people into exile to teach them how much he cares. He cares so much that he enters into our pain. He becomes one of us and he takes pain upon himself. Some people would say, well, you know, you look at this story and Jesus escapes while the the other children don't. But the only reason Jesus escapes an edict from the king is to voluntarily give his life for everyone who's involved in the story. See, the little children aren't, aren't murdered because Jesus is born. Jesus is born because evil that would take the lives of little children has to be addressed. Something has to be done about it. Evil has to be conquered. And the only way to do that is for God to enter into our world and to go to the cross. And to leave this story out is to miss the essence of what Jesus comes to be and to do. N.T. Wright, in his book about the Lord's Prayer, talks about the, the fact that Jesus, all alone, was, was embroiled in the whirlpool of, of every, all of the evil of the world. And, and it's as though the evil of the world wore itself out on Jesus so that we could be free. And he says, you know, the part of that prayer that we pray, deliver us from evil. Jesus is the one who was not delivered from evil. And he goes to the cross to do something about evil and pain that we wrestle with. In this passage, Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31. It's a passage that's set in the context of the Israelites in exile. And, and, the, and the mothers in Jerusalem are weeping and wailing because their children have been taken away to Babylon. And there's great mourning. And that's verse 15. But verse 16, God says, don't despair. I'm going to bring them back. The day will come when they will return. It's what Isaiah says about the Messiah in chapter 49 of his prophecy. And he says, I'm going to go to the nations and they're going to carry your sons back to you. And they're going to carry your daughters on their shoulders back to you. And despite all the pain that you feel, 
Because Jesus is born, there is hope. There is hope for our pain. Someone was reminding me earlier this week about the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He lived in the middle of the 19th century and was deeply disturbed in the 1860s about all that was was happening to our nation in the Civil War. The death, destruction, and division, and hatred, and pain that became our nation. In 1863, he received a letter from his son telling him that he had um, secretly joined up with the Union Army. And later that year, his son was severely wounded. And that on top of the fact that his wife had died in an accidental fire made 1863 a very difficult year. And on that Christmas morning of that year, as he awoke to the bells in the churches ringing, he sat down and he wrote these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Heavenly Father, many of us come today with pain in our hearts. At this season of the year when we might be reminded even more of the emptiness, the ache, the struggle. Help us to know that you do not forget us. That you have entered into our pain and you have given us hope. Let us know the hope that is ours in Christ. Amen.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.